so um guys this is going to be a podcast about um about the very recently introduced um, literary theory and criticism paper in delhi university which uh, for which the exams was held very recently uh, at the end of 2021 the question that i am going to talk about very briefly in the post podcast is about the relationship between the philosophies of david hume and edmund burke and the reason why uh, you know why i'm talking about this is because this is directly a question from the uh, from the exam but also because through a question like this i think it's easy to um, look at not just their individual philosophies their individual opinions but also how those uh, philosophies sort of interact with each other and how they can either be seen as responses uh but also it, you know as part of a continuum of a philosophical debate or an idea uh in the 18th century and uh, i mean it's not just an individual reference to their uh, personal theories but also a composite look at the relationship between their theories so it serves all of those three purposes but in very very brief let's talk about both the philosophers first david hume was a philosopher who was born in 1711 died in 1776 importantly just before the french revolution i say this importantly because this also constitutes even though it is beyond the purview of the discussion today the french revolution constitutes a very important difference between hume and burke because their relationship or, or their opinions of the french revolution uh perhaps is the most uh, is is the most obvious way in which the differences between their philosophies can be understood now david hume uh is uh, is is a major major philosophical figure he was uh, he was so important he was uh, he was instrumental through his relationships with contemporary philosophers in shaping the philosophical sort of oeuvre generalized social um you know atmosphere of philosophy of intellectual activity uh you know adam smith who is a classical economist on the basis of whose works a lot of contemporary philosophical institutions and ideologies have been formulated he was a very good uh, friend of um, of david hume kant who is uh, who's another person who's part of the syllabus is supposed to have said that hume's work woke him up from quote unquote his dogmatic slumbers jeremy bentham another very very important person a person from whose works foucault um, you know makes a reference to the panopticon for example very very important concept very very important thinker jeremy bentham he also remarked that reading david hume quote unquote caused the scales to fall from his eyes and i'm getting all of this information that what i'm talking to you about right now from the uh, from the from the stanford philosophical um, you know um, uh, online uh, encyclopedia so that's what that that's where a lot of this information is coming from i'll give you the sources for the other information as well charles darwin specifically as well uh, you know uh, i don't think he needs any information he, he doesn't need any introduction he regarded hume's work as a central influence on his theory of evolution so if you if you just see the you know the the range and the breadth of people 
who have regarded Hume as a philosophical intellectual precursor um, among a lot of other contemporary cognitive scientists and philosophers. He does, I mean, his, his place in the, in, in the tradition of philosophical discussions becomes very, very clear. He was an Irish person and uh, his, um, his Irishness or his Irish heritage played a large part in shaping up his philosophical insights. He was very, very importantly and very, very famously what was called a skeptic or an atheist as opposed to the religious, um, to the excessive religiousness and conservatism of Edmund Burke, who was also an Anglo-Irish uh, statement, statesman. He was an economist also. He was a philosopher also. Edmund Burke was also, uh, he was also a very important influential person in his time. Born in 1729 and died in 1797, he saw the French Revolution play out in his lifetime, the good and bad of it, which um, which definitely, uh, you know, uh, which, which had a lasting impact on him. Um, a lot of people say had Hume been alive, he would definitely have supported the French Revolution because of his... Uh, because of his political uh, uh, theories. Uh, this is not something that I'm saying. I haven't read enough of him to say that. Burke, on the other hand, was a staunch op uh, you know, uh, opponent of the French Revolution. He was also a member of parliament between 1766 and 1794 in the House of Commons in, um, in, in Britain. He was part, he was a very important member of the Whig party. And so, as a philosopher, as a political economist, Burke was very, very, very influential. So, what we are going to talk about in um, in this lecture is not about their political philosophies, about which uh, the differences and the commonalities and the way in which they're perceived by 20th century philosophers, political and otherwise aesthetic philosophies, and so on and so forth. A lot has already been written, um, but uh, we're going to talk about their relationship with each other and specifically their um, their way of understanding aesthetic judgment, aesthetic philosophies, and the role of beauty, the role of rationality, the role of intellect in all of it. So the, uh, you know, whatever it is that I'm going to say now, uh, the human Burke connection, so to speak, this has been taken from the history of European um, ideas, which is, um, you know, which is a journal. Um, and the article that I am referring to is called The Human Burke Connection Examined. It's been written by Marx Zonsberg, right, <laughs> who is part of the Department of History, University of Liverpool in UK. And so this particular article, it's a wonderful article. It's a very long article. It's available on Taylor and Francis uh, website online. It's an open access article. So it's one of those that can easily be accessed by anybody who wants to get a better understanding of what um, what is being said in the article. Uh, I am only going to use a very small section of it. Um, now, David Hume and Edmund Burke, a lot of people, um, you know, regard their relationship as, you know, their relationship as being slightly complicated because earlier on, uh, a lot of their ideas seemed similar, even though they had never talked to each other together. Uh, but at the same time, there is a lot of difference. There is a lot of uh, specific peculiarities uh, in the ascetic philosophies of both of them. Um, so, um, while Hume would say that uh, the idea of taste, 
subjective taste is something that depends on uh, a number of circumstances uh, a number of external circumstances but it is primarily a question so we're talking about david hume according to hume uh, a person's subjective taste depended primarily on his or her moral opinions burke on the other hand argued that beauty uh, you know beauty is actually subjective it differs from person to person in that sense and it depends on the concepts of pleasure and pain rather than on morality so um, you know uh, even though it might seem as if these are ideas which are definitely different from each other but the idea of subjectivity um, you know uh, and and a general thought vis-a-vis uh, -vis morality they if if we try to understand how these ideas sort of unravel they actually uh, they can actually go on to show that uh, what these two people are talking about david as well as uh, sorry burke as well as hume uh, david hume as well as edmund burke uh, the ideas are fairly similar to each other with very uh, interesting sort of nuances which uh, primarily differ now it is uh, it is important to remember before anything else that uh, both of these people had written on um, on on the idea of taste as it were david hume published an essay titled on the standard of taste in 1757 and it was only after that that um, you know edmund burke's book origin of our ideas of the sublime and beautiful that was published and so a lot of people a lot of philosophers believe that burke's introduction on taste you know which was added to the second edition of the of of this philosophical book origin of our ideas of the sublime and the beautiful it is a reply to it is a response to hume's essay which is called again of the standard of taste and uh, while you know there are definitely a lot of similarities there are also a lot of dissimilarities in the two um, in in the two texts so uh, both burke as well as hume the the place where they are sort of similar is their uh, criticism of or their refusal to accept without any kind of a qualification the primacy of what was called in the 18th century reason burke writes that reason is but a part and by no means the greatest part of human nature and very similar to this hume also says and hume i think was trolled for um, you know a lot for saying this reason is and ought only to be the slave of the passion so both of them are saying that reason is important but reason is not the most important thing human fact says that reason has to be a slave of passions it is passion that should be the most important aspect of a person's intellect or a person's personality as it were specifically in an aesthetic uh, sort of a context uh and uh, and it's because of this that's often stressed that burke accepted hume's criticism of rationalism but uh, but but you know uh, it is very easy to sort of exaggerate it rather than look at it in its true uh, in in its true implications but as that will take us into a more complex into a more uh, nuanced sort of um, uh a criticism i think let's just stick to a basic introduction 
so the limitation of uh, the limitation of reason uh, or the fact that reason can only go so far and not farther it plays a very key role in burke's idea of what is sublime and what is beautiful um, you know when he talks about it in this treatise he argues that sublime and beautiful effect objects they have an effect on people even before we can bring our reason into play even before we can invoke our reason to figure out how we feel about these objects which invoke these uh, emotions of sublimity and beauty right uh, in contrast with hume burke actually brings a religious component when he critiques rationalism and this is a direct quotation from the essay that i have just talked about uh, and the quotation begins whenever the wisdom of our creator intended that we should be affected with anything he did not confide the execution of his design to the languid and precarious operation of our reason but he endured it with power and properties that prevented the understanding and even the will and you remember uh, if you've listened to the other podcast will is an idea which even schopenhauer talks about uh burke however goes on to say i'll read again the last um, uh, last line but he endured it with power and properties that prevent the understanding and even the will which seizing upon the senses and imaginations captivate the soul before the understanding is ready either to join with them or to oppose them so he says that every time that we come across something which is sublime which is beautiful even before you know um, our understanding uh, can either join with our understand or either join with our uh, sentiments of what is beautiful uh, so that our reason says yes you are right that this is beautiful that this is sublime or it stands up to oppose that this is not beautiful this is not sublime before that the senses and imagination have captivated the soul so uh, the beautiful and the sublime in that sense um, you know they uh, operate in a space which is uh, which is beyond the space of reason which is beyond the control of the space of reason and schopenhauer says something very similar when he says that the moment of ascetic revelation is is beyond the control of the universal blind will so in that sense it's similar i'm not saying that they're saying the same thing burke's philosophy is 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 different from what schopenhauer is talking about in scope in context and in a lot of other ways but this particular idea and this expression is very very similar and since it is also part of the course so i just want to invoke it just to create a thread of sort of um, communication between the two ideas it is evident that burke's critique of rationalism uh it it doesn't mean that he subscribes to the full program uh of what hume's academic skepticism is right burke admires uh james beatty's attack on hume uh when james beatty wrote an essay on the nature and immutability of truth um and burke actually described beatty's intention as exposing the skeptical systems of bishop berkeley and mr hume and so on and so forth so burke actually uh 
uh, was not a supporter of philosophical skepticism which is the kind of uh, philosophy which is the basis fundamental aspect of um, hume's philosophy so there they are completely different there they are completely opposed to each other um it it is it is it is of course in this context it's obvious that if such an opinion um that is skepticism should prevail this is what burke says that if skepticism were to prevail the pursuit of knowledge both in how that pers- uh, that uh, you know that that pursuit of knowledge is carried out and the end which is the attainment of knowledge must be the greatest folly instead of being an indication of some wisdom in the attempt and in the progress and means of acquiring the highest that is the highest form of knowledge that is if skepticism is the route which is taken to attain knowledge then one could not perhaps one could not at all do it and if even if one could do it then also you know um, what you would achieve at the end of it is going to be the highest folly and definitely not something um, you know that is desirable at all the sublime and the beautiful was published as i said two months after humes of the standard of taste um but it had already been completed in 1753 this is also information that i am getting off of the article that i had stated earlier and this basically means that even if changes to the article had been made uh, it would perhaps be a little premature to call it and uh, call um, you know burke's work as a reaction to or a response to hume's work the difference between the publications of the two articles is or the two texts is just two months a new introduction on taste uh, which was published in the second edition in 1759 that is the one that i was just you know referring to earlier that has however always been regarded as a response to hume's essay so the introduction rather than the whole text can perhaps be um, said to be a response to hume's essay um you know uh, there are a lot of critics uh, a lot of them have been cited in the article they defend um they 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 talk about or they contest that you know burks and hume's thesis is very very similar and both of them talk about you know the fact that aesthetic judgments could be settled by appealing to matters of fact and this is one of the more famous statements made uh you know about the similarity between the two essays that if you have to figure out uh you know um you know the the nature of aesthetic judgment in any kind of a context uh it can be settled by appearing appealing to quote and quote matters of fact with hume burke also defended the notion of a common objective standard of taste and held that some people were better at aesthetic judgment than others and if you remember nietzsche has very similar things to say about about a similar kind of aesthetic uh, contexts when he say, when he talks about the artist and the non artist you know um so like burke uh, hume also says that there are some people who are better at aesthetic judgments than others and this is a similarity between them uh, for both of them both burke as well as hume and this is information uh, which has been given by the critic dario perinetti he says that for both uh, burke and hume the quality of art and literary production was not relative and arbitrary right that is not subjective right uh, even if one's perception of beauty and of the sublime can be can be subjective but the quality of art and literary production that cannot be relative right it cannot change from one person to the other and it cannot be arbitrary uh, but they both disagreed about the nature of facts which determine the aesthetic quality of an object so even though both might say that when you appeal to matters of fact 
you know you can settle matters of aesthetic judgment but what actually constitute facts what is the nature of facts right through which you can determine what the aesthetic quality of an object is this is where they both disagree right and this is all um this is all information that i am getting from the article it's a wonderful article um uh, you know the students should definitely read it for burke it was facts about the external object itself and for hume facts about the intentional attitude of the observer so for burke it was the external object which invokes the idea of the sublime or the beautiful whereas for hume the fact referred to the intentional attitude of the observer so both of them are talking about two different aspects of the process of aesthetic judgment or the process of the um you know of of the experience of the sublime or of the beautiful because whenever there is whenever you come across something which you think is sublime it's beautiful then you know there are of course two things which are involved in the process one is the person who is actually perceiving the object uh, which is invoking or which is evoking the feelings of the sublime or of the beautiful and the other is the external object itself which becomes the focus of the evocation of these kinds of sentiments right uh, the differences of course uh, are uh, between human burke because of their you know polar opposite ideas about religious uh, um, you know about religious conservatism about skepticism and about a lot of other philosophical um, areas that and politics of course very very importantly politics are beyond the scope of this particular question but the differences are much much more you know they they're much deeper and uh, the article also talks about paddy pullard who's also um, you know who has also talked about this difference between human burke and these are uh, critics with a little bit of uh, research that should be used in the exam questions as well paddy pullard says that uh, one of burke's university friends speculated that sublime and beautiful was a response actually not to hume's essay 1757 essay but a response to Francis Hutcheson's moral sense theory and this moral sense theory basically contends that human beings were naturally inclined towards morality beauty and order and this is a kind of argument that you find very often being expressed in one way or another either in you know either in support or in opposition in enlightenment um, you know in enlightenment um, philosophy and rationality that human beings are naturally inclined towards morality towards beauty and towards order order and on this contemporary account you know sort of burke feared that hutcheson's moral sense theory risked making virtue independent of re revealed religion remember we we started off burke's uh, introduction or we had ended burke's introduction actually by talking about his uh, extreme religious conservatism so he felt that this kind of a moral sense theory which talks that uh, which, which contends that human beings are naturally inclined towards morality beauty and order i'm repeating it so that it becomes easy to remember uh, it it actually makes virtue virtue which is expressed through morality virtue which is expressed through beauty and virtue which is expressed through order it 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 takes it apart from revealed religion which is why uh, you know burke's theory is seen as um as a rectification of as a collect as, as a correction of hutcheson's uh, moral sense theory so what burke is trying to do is he's trying to bring in the concept of revealed religion and associate it with virtue in his uh, understanding of aesthetic judgment um so hume also um, you know hume also reacted to or hume also responded to hutcheson's moral sense philosophy 
but you know Hume's response to Hutchison's moral senses uh, moral sense philosophy was not predicated on the perceived uh, atheism or pre- perceived skepticism um which which uh, which could be understood which could be deduced from Hutchison's philosophy it is very very possible that burke's agenda was ultimately religious because he also wrote and public published uh, his vindication against bolingbroke's deism and anti-clericism uh, clericalism at his time uh, so it was in burke's uh, it was a very important part of burke's larger philosophical uh, you know output to respond to those philosophies which he felt were not religious enough or which attacked religious institutions as it were right hume uh, also responded to bolingbroke's um, works but he uh, he he disliked them he attacked them because he thought that they were not good enough uh, not because they were subversive and as far as subversiveness is concerned perhaps hume would have agreed um, you know with hutchison and with bolingbroke and it's because one uh, a lot of philosophers see that burke as well as hume are together in their dislike of these other philosophers like hutchison like bolingbroke that sometimes they're clubbed together and a lot of things that they are writing about are very very similar in the general area of aesthetic judgment a lot of their ideas are very important a lot of their ideas can be seen as having a certain kind of a connection even if their opinion goes uh, even if their opinion go in different ways uh, but there are some very fundamental differences between the two uh, right for example hume uh, spoke about bolingbroke uh, he said and this is again a, a quote that i'm um, that i'm taking taking from the article the clergy are all enraged against him that is bolingbroke but they have no reason were they never attacked by more forcible weapons than his they might forever keep possession of their authority so clearly when hume is attacking bolingbroke he is saying that he is just not good enough for the clergy to feel threatened by them um and in a sense he is against the kind of religious conservatism that uh, you know that that burke actually proposes and this is one of the uh, this is one of the major differences between the now here perhaps it is also very uh, it it might be because we are talking about aestheticism um about the aesthetic judgment in terms of uh, of of taste as it were and both hume as well as burke are talking about this term um and perhaps we should have begun with that but taste is something i mean um, from the 8th century onwards taste um, sorry from the 18th century specifically for the 18th century not the 8th century specifically for the 18th century philosophers taste became a sort of a you know not not the literal taste but a metaphorical sort of a sixth sense it became um, it became a very very popular term for uh, understanding aesthetic judgments for understanding um, you know uh, for understanding how theories about the beautiful about the sublime they became very very important in uh, in ancient times of course the idea of taste is connected with, with appetite and it is the opposite of rational judgment so in in a very literal sense it seems as if it should not uh, be related at all to rationality to intellect but to the baser ideas of corporeal taste as it were um in aristotelian tradition for example the idea of taste is connected very very strongly with a sense of touch um he did he he does talk about the five senses like it like they still talked about today but aristotle considered uh, you know if there should actually have been four 
uh, it is necessary for example for the tongue to touch food for example for food to be tasted so taste in in that sense is is only a sort of a corollary to the uh, to the sense of touch and in that sense perhaps we can talk about how taste um, you know in in that particular context becomes more metaphoric becomes more secondary than you know the way that we understand it now and um, you know specifically in the middle ages because the idea of taste became very important because different tastes were believed to elicit uh, or invoke or lead to different kinds of healing different kinds of nutrition on the body and this is uh, this is in a sense this is also this this can also be seen in ayurveda for example so it was believed that different kinds of flavors um had different kinds of properties and they had different kinds of um reactions and different kinds of implications for the body and uh, to create a balance to create a healthy balance in the body all manners of flavors all manners of taste a mixture of all was actually um you know it it was actually required in the later middle ages taste was um, occasionally related to the term honest for example you know an honest painting which is a tasteful painting which is a good painting um and honesty is usually nowadays associated with truth um and and it's important to you know sort of remember that um when uh, when one uses the idea of tasteful or honest um in any of its implication for any kind of an object um you know the aesthetic theory if it is part of a theory or aesthetic judgment is more uh, predicated on or it's it's centered on fundamentally the person who's viewing the object so it's the observer something that burke as well as uh, nietzsche for example they talk about and a lot of other philosophers also but within the realm of this particular course and this these these discussions these are people who um you know most evocatively talk about what the role of the observer is kant also of course talks about it but there are a lot of other places where uh, you know kant talks about uh, or um details his ideas uh, about what the role of the observer is within the process of or within the experience of the sublime of the beautiful of the um, of the good and of the pleasurable right so um in that sense um you know it it is the idea is sort of connected with the belief that the that something which is good and something which is which is beautiful are related the good person is better suited to apprehend the beauty of an object if a person is good if the person is morally good then they would be able to understand and experience the sublimity and the beauty beauty of an object much better and this is perhaps something which is similar to what burke is talking about which where he brings in revealed religion where he brings in the idea of morality to uh, bear very very importantly on the idea or on the experience of aesthetic uh, judgment or the experience of the good or the experience of the beautiful or the experience of the sublime now uh, hume actually did not write a lot on aesthetics as it were his uh, his most important essay is of the standard of taste uh, but in just this one essay hume has been able to create a lot of um, you know important ideas through which a lot of philosophers who came after him 
um, you know, they have taken uh, Hume as a precedence for the development of their, um, you know, on on their philosophies of aesthetic judgment. Uh, empiricism is something which is very important to Hume's understanding um, of taste. Um, you know. Um, because Hume believes that uh, empiricism is the, f you know, um, because Hume believes that uh, empiricism is the foundation on which one can experience, through which one can experience taste as it were. Art as a social practice for Hume, you know, it is limited uh, or it is contained under the general theory of human action. Um, so, I mean, he talks about this in other places, but he doesn't talk about it at length vis-a-vis -vis aesthetic judgment. Uh, he talks about it very briefly in the essay. He, he, he draws a very important distinction between what he calls sentiments and determinations. Sentiments are always right because they do not, be, because they, because they don't need to reference to anything beyond themselves. Whatever sentiments a person has are uh, self-referential as it were they are born within oneself and they don't need to refer to anything else outside of themselves or they don't need validation from anywhere else determinations are not um, they, they're not always correct because or they will always make reference to something which is outside of themselves something that could be either proven right or proven wrong and so he says that beauty is not a, is not a quality of the objects um, it's it's not something that is inherent in an object and hence the judgment of beauty and taste is actually um, within the realm of what he calls sentiments and definitely not determinations and so beauty in a certain sense is subjective and so a judgment of beauty and a judgment of taste is something which is related to sentiments it is in and of itself and so if beauty was a quality of objects, then we would have a standard of beauty. We could say that there are that a, that a thing that is beautiful should have A, B, C, D kind of qualities, right? And all of these qualities should be present within a particular object for us, or for us to call it beautiful and for it to be called beautiful. Um, you know, so and since that is not the case, so we can't call it something which is... Um, which comes under the category of what he calls determinations. And despite this kind of a result, you know, Hume still wants to allow for certain kinds of opinions that seem correct from experience. So while there are some objects that, that, that might be very close in beauty to each other, which might resemble each other, there are others that clearly seem to be more beautiful than other objects, right? Um, <laughs> so... Um, and, and Hume gives this very, very important example, this very famous example in his essay, <clears throat> where he says that no one in their right mind would think that Ogilvy and Milton, right, they have the same kind of excellence, they have the same kind of intelligence, and they have they they um, they are at the same kind of level. But this difference is not something which is is not something uh, which is part of the object itself. Right? Because beauty is not a property of objects, but it is only and only in the mind. And so the objects that affect the higher sentiments of the person are the ones that that, that we actually, that we call more, um, you know, 
much much more beautiful so that is very very important and uh, i think i've forgotten to um give a reference to where i'm getting this information from a lot of this very very wonderful information and wonderful explanation is from the internet encyclopedia of philosophy which is a very accessible space uh and which is a very accessible um, you know um uh, reservoir of information um so a lot of this information is from there um and uh, students should definitely definitely um uh, refer to it um so coming back to what i was talking about hume he says that um uh if there is a thing which affects the higher sentiments of a person uh then that is something that we consider to be much much more beautiful and uh, what are these higher sentiments and how are they affected this is something that comes from cultural convention and therefore whatever is considered to be beautiful whatever we consider to uh you know to be uh, affecting our higher faculties as it were it will change over time because as as the cultural uh, you know as as history progresses cultural conventions are definitely going to change but within the scope of a certain culture uh you know even if there isn't a standard of taste which is made very very obvious like the law is written down you can't really write down what are the qualities and what are the qualifications of the beautiful and the sublime is right even if that is not done but for every culture based on experience um you know um and especially the experience of hume says the right kind of person again you see the um you know as far as the understanding of beauty and of sublimity is concerned the object of beauty as well as the person who's perceiving that object of beauty are both very very important so hume appeals to a true judge that would be able to perfectly assess the beauty of an object because it is only this true judge it is only this person who has the higher faculty because you know this this is the only person who would kind of possess the strong sense and this is a direct quotation from uh, hume he says the strong sense united to delicate sentiment improved by practice perfected by comparison and cleared of all prejudice so only when a person has all of these qualities will they be able to understand what exactly uh, the beautiful is he says they should have a strong sense they and that strong sense has to be united to delicate sentiment so they should have delicate sentiment but a strong sense uh it has to be improved by practice it is not something that you um inherently understand it has to be practiced as it were it has to be perfected by comparison this is very important you compare it with other things just like hume has done with ogilvy um and uh, and milton and it has to be cleared of all prejudice and uh, this this kind of prejudice in a certain sense you know if you if you remember there are similar kinds of qualifications which are uh, which are given in in the in the in the concept of disinterestedness as well it's not the same thing at all but there are very similar kinds of qualifications which are made parallel of course not the same uh, and this combined opinion of these very rare individuals when they come together and when they pool in their opinions 
that is basically what will compose that will basically what that is basically what will give you an idea of what a standard of taste should be and the standard of taste is always going to be something that resides within these people who have all of these strong sense delicate sentiment practice comparison and lack of prejudice right um, a complete negation of prejudice all of these things uh, the people who have all of these things they are going to compose a standard of taste and the standard of taste uh, you know um, then is going to live within these judges and by recognizing the better judgments that these people have you know have have represented have given to the society the standard of taste they represent that becomes public that becomes a thing that the whole culture that the whole uh, society will also have so um uh, and and then you know uh, it is it is very important not to confuse hume's true judgment with um you know with with the uh, very contemporary kind of art judgments with very contemporary ways of understanding art um this this kind of a person that hume is talking about they're not applying a standard of taste to the different objects of perception to the different things that they come about um because in in that sense the beauty um can be found in the objects or in some other realm many people you know have experienced according to hume many people will have experienced looking at something and not understanding what they're seeing and then somebody would be able to tell them explain to them how to look at it properly and then they understand you know how to understand a particular object of beauty because that is something that happens um and and that is supposed to be the way in which modern art is sort of understood um 